Good morning. Uh, I read today from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answers, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had done, excuse me, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out only by prayer. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. So um, today's message uh, is focusing on the subject of of faith. Uh, I want you just to, before we get into it, glance down the passage that has just been read to us, just so that that becomes a little bit more obvious. Very important subject the subject of faith or or belief. So, for instance, in verse number 19, Jesus talks about a a faithless and unbelieving generation. In verse 23, he says, All things are possible to him who believes. In verse 24, the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. And then in verse 19, he says, Jesus says about prayer, this, this kind only comes out by, by prayer, which of course is a, an expression of faith. So, so what we're going to do this morning is we're, we're going to go down this passage. We're going to look at this incident about this demon-possessed boy that is healed by the Lord Jesus and we're going to see how this whole aspect of, of faith is, is highlighted and, and how that lesson can be, can be taken um, 
by us all. It must have been quite a, quite a thought coming down out of that mountain, which is where the narrative uh, begins. Um, they'd been up there. It had been tranquil. It had been majestic. Um, they didn't want to leave, in a sense. If you back up and just read what was said, Peter actually mentioned that. He said, you know, it's, it's really good for us to be here. Uh, let's, let's build a couple of shelters. And, but the time came when they had to leave that, even although it was a congenial company, impressive company, Moses and Elijah, and things were just as they would have wanted it to be. It was an outstanding event, a mountaintop experience, and yet they, they had to descend. They had to come down from the mountain to the the chaos and the disruption and, and the heartache of, of the world that was just in turmoil at the bottom of the mountain down, down in the valley. And it was, it was Christ, of course, who, who led them down because he's on a journey. A journey that won't allow him just to stay up where things are nice, when th- where things are good. He's on a journey that is going to eventually uh, take him to the cross, to Jerusalem, where he'll be rejected, where the crowds will, will mock at his suffering and put him on the cross, where the, the duplicity of the ruling factions will, will, will connive together with their manipulation, trying bring all of that together for their own advantage. He knows all of that. And that, that is his journey of descent. Wasn't, it wasn't just a descent from this mountain to Jerusalem and the cross. It was a descent that had come from heaven. I mean, if it was good to be on that mountain, it was better to be in heaven. Worshipped by all the angelic hosts, a place of love and perfection, and yet the Son of God descended, came down to a broken, suffering, wicked world like ours to be its Savior. You know, we've remembered that this morning. We've remembered that he took a body, a body that he'd never had before because he was pure spirit, God the Son, he took a body. What a mystery that God becomes incarnate, becomes a man. And his blood is spilt upon the cross because he was willing to descend, come down to where we were, to seek and to save those who are lost, to look for us. You know, there's a, you know the well-known parable that Jesus taught, taught about the lost sheep and the old Sankey song that, 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 that talks about this. And this is, this is what one of the verses says. And, and none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed or how dark was the night when the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. And, and, and he calls us, 
as his disciples, those of us who have placed faith in him, to do the same thing? Well, what I mean by that is this. Not to remain in our little Christian bubbles. Not to be in the ghetto, but the Christian ghetto that is. But to to descend and get our hands dirty. And to remember that there is a suffering world. And we can't just circle the wagons and, and live in our little communes. And feel, well, this is so nice. And it's so pleasant. And it's in, it is enjoyable. There is a call for us. And, and maybe in the quietness of this time, we feel the challenge of these words coming to our own hearts. To follow the steps of Christ as he leads us down from the mountaintop experiences to a world that needs the gospel of Christ. And we are his hands and feet that should be doing that. So what, what is happening when they get there? Well, there's a, there's a big, big commotion. It's, it's, it's absolute bedlam down there. Um, there's a, there's a, a vast crowd of people there's a big argument that's going on. The disciples are beleaguered. Their, their backs are to the wall. They feel completely on the defensive here um, as far as this argument is concerned. And as, as he asks uh, what it's all about, and uh, there's a man who raises his voice from the crowd. And he says, this is all about my boy. It's about my son. Uh, and I brought him to your disciples. You know, these men, these nine, because of course three were with Christ, Peter, James, and John on the mountain. The nine who were left, Matthew over there, you know, Andrew, Thomas, the rest. And I, 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 was, I was expecting to bring him to you, and you weren't here. So I thought I'd bring him to your disciples to cast out this unclean spirit that has so afflicted him for all of these years. And they tried. They, they tried. And, and they failed. None of them were able to help. And, and that's what all of this is about. It's, it's about the failure of, of your disciples. Now, just, just one wee thing here. If you, lead, if you read the description of, of the boy... And, and what has happened to him repeatedly, the description of him foaming and grinding his teeth, convulsing, becoming rigid, you know, you, you would be forgiven for thinking that that sounds like something like epilepsy. It's not epilepsy, because it's quite clear that this is not just explained in terms of physical illness. What this is explained by is by an unclean spirit, a demon which has possessed this boy. And of course, we meet numerous occasions and incidents throughout the life of Christ where demons in different settings affect people and circumstances and are, are surrounding the ministry of Christ. There was a proliferation of demonic activity that was overt and blatant during the lifetime of Christ. Now, that is not always the case, so obviously, in our part of the world. But that doesn't mean to say that demons are, are still not present. 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about, for instance, the doctrine of demons. 
Second Corinthians talks about how Satan, he can, he can change himself into appearing like an angel, an angel of light. And there are teachings and doctrines and philosophies and ideas that are put forward within churches and within society as a whole that seem plausible, that seem attractive, that seem appealing. And they are doctrines of demons. I'm just saying this so that we are aware that this whole entity about demonic oppression is still something that is prevalent. And of course, when Christ went to the cross and he entered into the darkness of suffering upon Calvary, the emphasis is not so much on his physical suffering, although that was an awful thing and we know that. There was also emotional, psychological, and spiritual suffering as the hordes of the demons and the prince of the demons, Satan, assaulted and assailed the Son of God as he became sin for the sake of the world. And so that is the situation that we, that we have here. Now, in response to the Father describing that, Jesus begins to speak about faith. And this is what he says in verse 19. And these are words, and you can, you can of course, detect the, the disappointment in what he says, the frustration even, in the way he says this. Oh, oh faithless, oh, unbelieving generation. How, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? It was almost as if in the same way as the Pharisees had previously criticized Jesus via his disciples. Your disciples, for instance, they took, um, they go and they don't wash their hands, you know, when they've been into the marketplace. They're your disciples. You sanction this. You're happy with this. It's a reflection on you. And here, we brought this child to your disciples, and they weren't able to help. It's, it's really a faithless criticism of Christ by proxy as well that they're making here. And that's why he says, unbelieving, faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? And so we're now going to look at this whole idea of faith. And we're going to, we're going to see that it's first of all, directed to the Father, and then it's directed to the disciples at the very end um, of, the, of the incident. Now, this man's at the end of his tether. You can understand that. Um, he doesn't know what to do. He's at, he's at breaking point for years, for his whole life. He's watched his son suffer thrown into the fire, thrown into water, thinking that he would be killed at any time. And he's convulsing here. And the, 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 the terrible destructiveness of demonic activity is laid bare for us here. This demon is trying to kill this boy. He's trying to, he's trying to destroy this child. That is the awfulness and the wickedness of satanic oppression that Christ comes into the world to deal with and to defeat. 
We should be under no illusions about the wickedness and the evil of this kind of thing. And no doubt, because of what this, this demon does, that has actually produced some sort of brain damage because of this repeated activity that is happening to him and the effect on him. And so, at the end of himself, in his extremity and in his distress, the father says, you know, if you can do, do anything, please have pity on us. Just, just have compassion if you can do anything. And it's almost as if at that point there's, there's a, an intake of breath from Christ. And, and he says, you know, almost with a, a, a lifted eyebrow, if, if, I, if I can, if, if I'm able, it's almost as if he's saying, did I hear you right there? Did, did, you, did you really say that? Did you really say that if you are able? You mean, after all you've heard and perhaps witnessed all the reports of my ministry and the things that I've done, you're coming to me and you're doubting that I have the ability to heal your son and to deal with this situation. And what he says is, in fact, the issue is not so much if I have the ability, it's if you have the faith. Because everything is possible to the one who believes. That's down at verse number 23. Now you can understand the man saying this. I mean, he'd he'd watched Matthew having a go. He'd watched Andrew and Thomas and the rest of them trying to do it. And they they were just completely unable. And and, and you can understand that. But, But Christ is clear. And uh, the man, when he replies, says this. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I'm trying to believe, but I've been let down at every turn. I've tried so many things. No one has helped. Help my unbelief while I'm trying to believe. Now, this is, this is what Christ brings to all of us today. It's this, this challenge about belief in him. To believe that he is the Son of God. To believe in the miracles and in his teaching. And to believe in the sense of trusting in him and in his death, which deals with the issue of sin. And to to look at Christ upon the cross as we've tried to do this morning. His body given for us. His blood that was shed. And to say, I I believe. I, I I have complete confidence that Christ is the one for me. That there is no one else that can help me. And deal with the deepest issue of my heart. My sin before God. I have to rest and believe in in, in Christ and in Christ alone. That is what he is looking for. That's the response. And we might feel very inadequate. But the point, always the point in the Bible regarding faith. Is that even although my faith might be a weak thing. It is the fact that it's placed in a strong saviour. It's the strength of the person in whom the faith is placed that is the crucial factor. 
And, and time and again, this is emphasized for us throughout the scriptures. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, faith in his blood. Like the Ethiopian who, as he was baptized, made his confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And maybe we all feel like this man, that our faith is such a weak thing. But let's look to Christ with confidence and rest in his finished work. And Christian, can I just say this, that in all your distress, whatever that might be in your life just now, it is still faith in Christ and in the promises of his word that sustains us more than anything. Don't lose faith. Don't give up. Continue to believe in the goodness of God. I'm going to turn now, just uh, as we close, to, to faith from the perspective of, of the disciples. The incident is all over. Um, the little boy has been, has been raised up. The compassion of Christ is seen as well as his power in taking him by the hand. That kind of uh, very moving scene and giving him to his father again. must have been a wonderful scene uh, to experience. But, but now at the end of it, they leave the crowd, the arguments are all over, and they, they go into a house. And, and there's this question that comes up privately. And, and here it goes. Why did we fail? Why were we not able to do that? You see, I mean, if you had gone back to chapter 6, there is the account there when the disciples did cast out demons. Jesus sent them out on their mission. And as part of a number of things, they they, they were able to cast out demons. Why, Why weren't we able to do this? And, and there's a very straightforward answer. And it's this. This kind is only driven out by prayer. That's the, that's the reason. Oh, and they're, they're thinking back just a few hours previously. We didn't pray. Um, they went through their usual rigmarole when the boy was brought to them. They went through the routine. They, 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 they said whatever it was they usually say. When, when they'd done it before, they just said the same stuff. And it, and it didn't work. Uh, but Jesus knew what they are now realizing. That they actually had not come in faith at the end of their own tether. Just as the, the father had been. They hadn't come in dependence upon God to help them in this difficult situation. Prayer is an expression of our, of our deepest faith. You see, when we pray or we say we're praying about something or we need to pray, that just doesn't mean that we've got some sort of vague aspiration, something that we wish to happen. A prayer is not just me reflecting on a circumstance or situation. Prayer is 
when I come at the end of my own ability, when I can't do anything to determine or, or to make any difference to a situation, at the end of myself, I turn to God metaphorically and maybe even physically on my knees and saying, I need your help. Here is something that's beyond me that I can't achieve and I need you to help me. That is what prayer is. And it's, of course, one of the most basic disciplines of a Christian's life. I mean, I I can remember sitting in Sunday school, actually, and I don't think I was even five years old. And I can remember doing the actions and singing the chorus, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow. And despite its simplicity, and despite the straightforward instruction that Jesus is giving here to his disciples, you know, how, how poor we all are at this. And how little at times we all really engage in the reality of prayer. And yet it was something that was so central to the life and the experience of the early church. You know, in the early church, if you go through the, the chapters, the, uh, the early chapters of the book of Acts, you, you consistently read of the church coming together to pray, all together. Of, of how on one occasion, the very room in which they were praying was, was actually shaken because of the effects of their prayer. Despite persecution and despite difficulties, they came to pray. In fact, when Paul writes to Timothy, his young friend, and uh, Timothy has been left in Ephesus to, to help a fledgling church there, and he's trying to give him instructions, he says this to him, the first thing I want you to do in the church, the thing that has the greatest priority is first of all, he says, it's prayer. Number one. So it's not, it's not do we get our structure right? Do we even get our preaching right? It, is, it was prayer that he mentioned in First Timothy as the most important thing. Now, we know that prayer is a mystery. We know that not all prayers are answered in the way that we would like them to be answered. You maybe remember Paul himself in Second Corinthians had a, a thorn in the flesh, something that physically was obviously extremely distressing. Some think it was a painful form of blindness. And, and Paul says there that there were three occasions that he prayed to God that that would be taken away and removed from him. And it wasn't. The answer that came back to him was this. My grace is sufficient. And, and he was left in that situation so that he would learn that God's grace and power was perfected through weakness. We also know that sometimes prayers are delayed, that people have prayed for a long, long time and never apparently seen an answer. You know, one of the most helpful passages um, that that, that, that speaks to that is in in the book of Daniel, where Daniel has prayed. As we know, Daniel, going back to Sunday school again, you know, a man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times. And he prayed on one occasion and... um, An angel was sent to him and said, Daniel, from the very moment that you you prayed, from the very moment these words left your lips, your prayer was heard in heaven. 
instantaneously. But I was sent as an answer to that prayer. But I have been delayed. And it's demonic activity again that is described in the book of Daniel that delayed the prayer being answered. But what we are all told to do is to persist in prayer. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to give up, to persist in our prayer. And, and it's not as if we're trying to wring some sort of response from a reluctant God. It's God God's a good Father. You know, and if we, as, he, as Jesus taught, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God want to bless us with good gifts? But he wants us to persist in our prayers, just like Elijah did. A man who was just like us, says the book of James. Just like us who prayed and who prayed again. And it says this, that the prayers of a man like that, as they are made, they have a powerful impact. There is power in praying to God. And that's why Jesus said, this sort, it will never be driven out. It only only can happen through prayer. doesn't matter what else you do. The only thing that will work is prayer. So we come to ourselves. It's always good, of course, isn't it, that we, we take everything to our own hearts and are challenged by the Word of God. We, we sang that hymn, Speak, Lord, to me. We hear it to all of our hearts. We wonder how much of a priority prayer is in the life of this church. You know, often there's maybe up to 200 people here on a Sunday morning. Um, And, and, you know, prayer takes place in a variety of forms in this church. We've prayed corporately together today. There are smaller groups that pray at various points during the course of the the week, including in our house groups. But there is one, one meeting that is relatively weak. 200, as I say, sometimes on a Sunday morning. I have been at our church Wednesday night prayer meeting when there have been six people there. Now, what does that say about our priority as far as praying or the effectiveness of this church is concerned? You know this, that there are certain things in life that will just never, ever be rectified unless we pray about it. I mean, that's what Jesus is teaching us here. This, it will only happen. It will only happen. Nothing else will do it. It's only prayer. And we we all feel so inadequate as far as this is concerned. It's a basic thing, but we all just need reminding about the commitment to prayer. I mean, interesting, in some of the other translations, it actually finishes off here by saying prayer and fasting. Now, fasting is, is not only restricting food, it's, 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 it's getting rid of other stuff. You know, so that you have no distractions, that you give up on other activities and other things that are going on so that you can be focused on the priority of prayer for a season. And so, 
set aside that first Wednesday of the month when rather than meeting in house groups, we all come together here to pray as a church that God will work and that we will experience his power. So, there we have it. Today's message has been about faith, which is the response that God is looking for, for us all. The man, Lord, I I do believe, but help my unbelief. The disciples, why couldn't we do this? This type only comes out by prayer. So may we all, as we have heard the word of God, respond with an attitude of faith. Now shall we pray. Lord, help us to respond to your word. We thank you for the greatness of Christ, the glory of Christ. And now we, we, in a sense, just pause and internalize all that we've listened to and ask that in our hearts there will be this true response that you're looking for. Uh, We commit ourselves to you and the children. In Jesus' name, amen.